the key point from last week was that often God needs to take us through challenging circumstances to grow us into the person that he needs to fulfil the ministry to others that he has planned for us. And so this week we continue on in Luke chapter 4 from verse 31 as Jesus begins ministering hope. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 4 verse 31 and uh, we'll go from, from there. Then he, that is Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. So Jesus here, he goes down to Capernaum in Galilee and he begins teaching the people on the Sabbath. So as we know, the Sabbath was where Jewish people would come together and gather as a community like what we do at church. And we're told Jesus was teaching these people in Capernaum. Now Capernaum is located some distance from Nazareth. So Jesus was here where they tried to kill him, and is now up at Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee. There would have been many people who relied on the sea for their income. There would have been fishermen, there would have been boat builders, and, 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 and as a, a town of trade, because it was easy to get through on the water. And so it is here in this seaside town that Jesus begins teaching the people. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a church gathering where people have been preaching and you have been far from amazed? <laughs> Has that ever been part of your experience? <laughs> this morning right now? Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. There's still time, don't worry. You know, in fact, I've been in some church gatherings where you couldn't even call what they were doing preaching. It was more like someone would get up and just talk about stuff. They might read a Bible verse or two, if you're lucky, and then just talk about their thinkings, their feelings, and then encourage the people listening to do a better job, maybe, at, at something, if you felt like it. Who's been in a church like that? Yeah. But I've also been in church gatherings where someone has been preaching and I have been amazed, I have been fed, I have been taught the deep truths of the Scriptures and how those truths must impact my life and being guided in how to apply those truths to my life. I've been in gatherings where I've been moved to tears because I have felt that the Holy Spirit was speaking directly into my heart through the preacher. And can I tell you one thing? I much prefer the second. But it's a sad reality that the second experience is far less common than the first in many churches in Australia. And I, get, I get really, really puzzled by this because when we gather as God's family here in church, the Bible is surely central to our gatherings. That's where we hear from God. That's how we get to know his nature. 
the scriptures have been given to us by God so that we can know him intimately. We can understand his will and we can live more like Christ. So why does it seem that so often the Bible is only given lip service rather than it being the meat and the filling and the condiments and the bread of the sandwich? It seems like a no-brainer to me. Christ is central to everything we do as a church. We are here to bring glory to God and to bring the hope of the gospel to the northeast by making disciples. That's 100% Jesus-focused and Holy Spirit-empowered. And when we do that right, God blesses his people. He speaks to his people. He encourages his people and he guides us as his people to do the wonderful works of the ministry, of his ministry that he has called us to do. So why doesn't that happen from every single pulpit in the country every single week? I'm very puzzled by that. See, the Bible is what gives authority to the words that I speak. So I speak the words of the Bible. I read them, I study them, I unpack them, I follow rabbit holes until I find what the real truth is behind that really weird set of you know, words strung together in the scriptures to find out why are they there. I look at them in light of their original hearers. I expand upon their full meaning contained in the text in the original language and I then deliver a message that I believe God has spoken to me whilst doing all that and speak those words to you. See, the only authority I have in my sermons comes from the very words of God contained in the Bible. No one wants to hear the gospel of Aaron Wardle or any other preacher. They want to hear the gospel from the scriptures. No one wants to hear what I have to think about everything. You want to hear what God is saying to us through his scriptures. And that's what my role is as I'm preaching, to help us hear what God is saying in our context here and now through his word. But I don't reckon we're the only ones that have been sitting under teaching at times that has lacked authority. See, I think that this is something that has been common for all generations of our Judeo-Christian heritage. Even here in this passage, people remarked how amazing Jesus' teaching was because his teaching possessed authority. This is in contrast to their rabbis who merely cited the opinions of other rabbis and argued about them. Jesus' teaching, however, had inherent authority. It had the authority of God himself. Have you ever been in a Bible study where a passage of scripture has been read out and then people just share what they think of the passage and, and what they think it means? I call this Theology by group consensus. It's not always the truth of the Bible, however. But this is all that rabbis would do. They would simply discuss the opinions of other rabbis and what they thought about their opinions, about what they thought about what the text says. That was so contrast to what Jesus did. He brought the scriptures and he explained them and he taught in a way that had an inherent authority. 
And then we see Luke record for us expressions of Jesus' authority. Verse 33. In the synagogues, in the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. So this demon recognised Jesus as the Holy One of God who has come in the power of the Holy Spirit to triumph over demonic powers. The demon knows who Jesus is. And so when Jesus speaks to the demon, it obeys the command of Jesus, leaving the man without injuring him. But in this passage is also a warning. You see, this demon knew Jesus. It knew who he was. It knew that he was the Son of God. It knew that Jesus had authority because it obeyed him. Yet this demon didn't change and become repentant. It recognised who Jesus was and yet still rejected him. This is a warning to us all. Because there are many people sitting in churches all over Australia who recognise Jesus, yet still reject him. They've heard the gospel. They've heard what Jesus has done for them on the cross, but still do not respond to his free offer of salvation with a saving faith, but instead reject the offer and remain destined to an eternity separated from God separated from friends and family who have responded in faith. This is a warning and if that is for you, then take heed. The demon knew who Jesus was and obeyed him and that same Jesus offers you forgiveness of sins and welcomes you into his family if you respond to the hope of the gospel and submit to Jesus if you repent and believe. But look at what the people said about what they had just seen and heard. Verse 36. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are? With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. See, Jesus has always had authority and power. And here we see it on display to the amazement of those who saw. They were all amazed because Jesus was able to cast out demons with a word. You know, there were some rabbis who tried to do similar things. And if you remember, last year we went through the book of Acts, you saw Paul casting out demons and then all these itinerant people trying to do the same. They're trying to follow the same formula. They're trying, you know, watch and study what Paul would do. They sort of write down what he said and then they'd try and do it themselves. But the missing link was the relationship with God. The missing link was the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I was amazed at the speed this week in which the tragic news spread all over the globe on Monday 
of the helicopter crash that claimed the life of nine people, including Kobe Bryant. Kobe is a well-known former NBA basketballer. If you've been living under a rock for the last 40 years and have got no idea who he is, that's who he is. He's a, he was an incredibly popular sporting identity in the US and you know, basketball NBA seems to have spread all over the globe. Within minutes of the crash, it was all over news sites and social media. The news spread with amazing speed. Now these people in Galilee, they didn't have Twitter to spread the news, but they spoke news face to face. And the news that they were spreading was all about Jesus. They were amazed by what they saw and they spread this amazing news to everyone who listened. You know, the good old Bush Telegraph was in full swing. And so Jesus leaves the synagogue and he went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. Verse 39, so he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Now isn't it terrible when you head over to your mate's house and his mum's sick, you know, and, and she can't, can't serve your food and snacks? Here Jesus, he directs his attention and he speaks directly to the fever. And it's the only time recorded in the New Testament where Jesus directly rebukes and speaks to a disease. And it had immediate effect. The fever leaves her and she's well again straight away. She gets up at once and begins to wait on them. Her illness has been healed and now she has the honour of serving Jesus. What an amazing host she was. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Throughout this day, news had been spreading far and wide and as the day draws to a close, the sun is setting, people begin bringing all these sick people to Jesus. Now, if I was Jesus, I would probably just do a little bit of organisation here. I'd get everyone who was, all right, everyone who's sick, Come right out, everyone. Okay, I'm just going to pray a prayer for you, all of you, and you're all going to be healed. One, bang, all right, be healed, right? Because I like doing things the expedient way. Do you not, not the same? If there's a fast way of doing something that gets the same result and a slow way, which one do you choose? I choose the fast way. You know, if there's 30 seconds I can shave off my trip by going a certain street instead of another one, I'll take that, that one. But no. What Jesus did was he made the point of laying his hands on each person and healing them individually. There was a large crowd of people waiting to be healed and even though it was late in the day and the sun was setting, he didn't perform a miraculous instantaneous group healing. 
which was well within his power. But he paid individual attention to each person. This is the God whom we serve. A God that pays individual attention to you and to your needs and to what is best for you and what you need right now. This is the Jesus whom we serve. A Jesus who takes time to individually speak with and hear each person even when there are great crowds around him. Jesus cares for us all individually and that's just one way he demonstrates how personal his love, care and attention is towards each of us. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. I like that. goes off to hide. To get a bit of, bit of me time, a bit of quiet time. But the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said... I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You know, whenever we get on to a good thing, we get on a winner, we never really want to let it go, do we? In a time and place where medical knowledge was basic to say the least, where pain and suffering, disease, sickness and illness was prevalent and where causes were most times often unknown and and cures in most circumstances were unheard of, you can understand why when Jesus was amongst them, healing them of all their ailments, of their sickness, of illness, of pain, of aches, diseases, you can understand why they wanted to keep him right where he was. I mean, we find it pretty hard at times keeping our medical staff here in Wangaratta, keeping GPs, let alone specialists. You know, when we first came, we were trying to find it. You know, so many doctors that have closed books because they've got too many people already. They don't don't have enough doctors to see everyone that wants to even come. And I can imagine how much more this feeling of wanting to have Jesus stay with you, having him close by would have been for these people who had never experienced something like this before. I mean, it's a bit like we, why we take out insurance, isn't it? So if something happens, we're covered. You know, imagine if your, your aunt ha- had leprosy and, and, and Jesus heals her, you'd be like, hmm, this Jesus guy... He might be a good one to hang around because what if happens if I get leprosy? I want the same, you know. I can imagine that's why they wanted to keep him. But Jesus knows that the best thing for him is not to do and not to stay and just to heal them and just become a physician or doctor that meets only people's physical needs. Jesus knows that he has a plan and a purpose for which he has been sent to this world. He is called not to just heal but to preach and teach the good news throughout other towns as well. Neither Nazareth nor Capernaum had exclusive rights to Jesus, not his time, not his ministry. You know, Luke refers here to what must be, emphasising the necessity of God's providential plan being fulfilled by Jesus 
as he preaches the kingdom of God, as he preaches about his reign and rule, not necessarily you know, a physical static territory, but he's been sent by God to preach the good news to all who will hear. You know, last week we saw Jesus himself speak as to what his purpose was as he read out of the scrolls of Isaiah. And he said these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus here sets people free of their sickness He sets them free from demonic possession. He frees people from pain, illness, disease, anything that is oppressing them. And so we see Jesus' ministry begin with a flurry of miracles, healing great crowds of people one by one, setting people free from demons, setting people free from physical illness and disease. He brings to each person by meeting their physical needs and healing them, he brings grace. But he reminds them of why he came. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. See, Jesus' focus was and has always been on bringing the hope of the gospel to our world. And that is what he has charged us with too, to bring the hope of the gospel. See, we are citizens of the very kingdom of God that Jesus says in verse 43 that he must proclaim. In verse 44 we see that Jesus continued to bring hope as he continued to fill the purpose that he was sent for, ministering hope to everyone he could. So how are we going at fulfilling the purpose that we have been sent for? As a church, we're getting stuck into what we said we'd do this year. Small groups are kicking off this month. Discipleship groups will be kicking off in March. We have revamped our prayer meetings so we can all come together and pray as a church family for the plans and purposes that God has placed us here for to bring the hope of the gospel to the northeast by making disciples. You know, our first whole church guided prayer meeting is this Thursday night at 7 pm. I look forward to seeing you here. And this prayer meeting will be a little bit different to other prayer meetings that you may have attended in the past and being like that guy snoozing in the chair, right? That's not what we're doing. We will start with a song of praise and worship God, songs of prayer, of thanks, of gratitude, and we'll then break off into small groups and pray through a number of things that will be on a prayer sheet. So we'll be guided in that. We'll then come back together and open the meeting up for people to share and and their, their, their requests for people to pray for them personally or to, to make requests on others' behalf. And then we're going to finish with a light supper at 8pm and a time of fellowship. 
So please do try and make these prayer meetings which are on the first Thursday of the month. We'll also be continuing midweek worship on the third Wednesday of the month. A great time to come together and worship, learn newer songs, be encouraged. Men's breakfasts also continue and so do our ladies' breakfasts. And this month I'll be meeting with the officer in charge of the police station and look to begin bringing our police members hope by saying thank you and, and, and blessing them for the amazing work they do serving our community. I met a week or two ago um, with the Victorian police chaplain who was up here in Wangaratta. He, he was saying that when, I, when we go and do this, we'll have questions asked to us like, why? Because no one says thank you to police officers. Most people's interaction with police officers is one when you're on the wrong end of the stick, right? It's very rare that people even say thank you. It's very rare that people would even take the time to do something like what we've planned. And he said, go for it. Here's the name of the dude. Enjoy. Have a great time. You know, I'm really looking forward to that. And there's also so much going on as a church that we can do corporately as a body to bring hope that doesn't even include our efforts in evangelism. You know, we've scheduled our two family fun days for the year. The first is for Saturday, the April the 18th, and the second is scheduled to tie in with our spring plant and produce swap um, on October 24th. So there's some dates for your diary, just a little bit early. Hey, these family fun days are part of a broader evangelism strategy that will see us fulfilling our calling to bring the hope of the gospel. But how does running a family fun day bring hope? That's a very good question to ask, isn't it? And I'm glad that you asked that because it will cost us money to actually put on a free family fun day. And I know that we don't want to waste money, do we? We want to be good stewards of God's resources. So how does hiring a jumping castle, how does providing people with food, how does doing games and activities with people bring them hope? Well, if we put some thinking into what we actually do when we evangelise people, into how we share the hope of the gospel, then we can probably break it into three clear parts. And if you want a terminology, here we go. Contact, connect, communicate. Our three C evangelism strategy. Each of those C's represent different parts of our clear evangelism strategy. This is kind of how we do evangelism as a church. But you know what? It's also how we do it as individuals as well. We might just never have articulated it before. So the first C is contact. You know, we are never going to bring the hope of the gospel to people and make them reproducing disciples of Christ introduce them to Jesus if we don't have any contact with people who don't know Jesus. So mainly music is a contact ministry. It's one place where we have contact with people who don't know Jesus. Family fun days are another opportunity to be in contact with people who don't know Jesus and don't regularly connect with us. 
And if everything we do is focused on people who already know Jesus, then how will we ever encounter people who don't know him but desperately need to? But what about you personally? How often do you hang around people who don't know Jesus? Most of our friendship groups tend to sort of end up circling around one main social gathering and for a lot of us who've been in church for a long, long time, it does revolve around church. Many of us, church is our main social engagement mechanism. We make deeper friendships with people who are more like us as well and faith is a big factor in that and so that's only natural. And I don't really want to hang around people my age, if I'm honest, who, who all they want to do is drink, party, go out, you know, do things I'm not interested in. You know, that's not me. It's not where I want. I, I want to hang out with people who have similar interests to me and that's why churches are great because we have similar interests. First of those is Jesus Christ. That's a good start for a good friendship, isn't it? A good foundation. But if I never branch out and make friends with people who don't know Jesus, then my contact with people who need the hope of the gospel is going to be so minimal it will almost be impossible for me to bring the hope of the gospel to them. That's why I'm part of the concert band. But how do you have contact with people who need hope? Jesus went into towns. He went into the areas where people were gathering. He spoke to crowds of people He personally laid hands on each person who was sick and healed them and prayed for them. How are you in personal contact with people who need hope? That's contact. The second C is connect. Once we have contact with people outside of our church family, we then have an opportunity to connect with them. We can build relationships and establish rapport. We can serve them, love them, provide a safe space to connect with them. We can be a hub for them in our community and be people who they trust and respect and be a place where they want to come. You know, one of the mainly music mums left us at the end of last year as their whole family was moving north. You know, this mum had been attending for many years and was heartbroken about leaving mainly music because it was so important to her. It wasn't the songs that were important. It wasn't the activities that were important. It wasn't the playtime. It wasn't the story time. It wasn't even the snack time or morning tea. It was the connections with people that was important to her. It was the relationships that had been established and the love and care that she felt the connections she had with the team and with the other mums that she was going to miss. So having contact with our community is important if we're going to bring hope, but connecting with our community is vital if we are going to bring hope, as that gives us not only the rapport, but also the relationship to be heard, which brings us to the third C, communicate. Once we have contact and have connected with people that need the hope of the gospel, we now have a vehicle to communicate the hope of the gospel with these people, our relationships. 
We can embody the gospel by practically serving and loving these people and most importantly, we can share the truth of the gospel and introduce these people to Jesus as we have a relationship where we can be heard. So this is what we do corporately as a church. We have our day of hope, our Gospel Sunday coming up in early May where we'll be presenting the Gospel and asking for people to respond. This will be something for us to invite our mainly music families to and other people we have come into contact with as a church. You know, before May is April and April is when we've scheduled our family fun day so there'll be a chance to invite people along to our day of hope where we're going to share the gospel. And so all these sorts of things, they tie in together. And I know that for some of us, it can be hard to weave the gospel into regular conversations with our colleagues, with our friends or with our family who don't know Jesus. It can sometimes just be that little bit difficult to, to make that step. You know, But it might be a bit easier to invite them to an event that we have like a family fun day or a ladies' breakfast or a men's breakfast or invite them out for golf. You know, Build into that relationship and invite them then once we're doing those sorts of things and regularly catching up, maybe invite other people from church so there's more people that they might know and then invite them to our day of hope, our Gospel Sunday. That's a way we can work together corporately as a body of Christ to support our individual efforts in personal evangelism by hosting these sorts of events and days and opportunities. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to do something practical. I want us to get up and rub our tummies in the nuts. <laughs> we have seen Jesus begin ministering hope to the people that he encountered. Sorry, that, got me. <laughs> that made me laugh too much. But we can also minister hope to the people that we encounter. So how? Well, I've got something for us that's pretty tricky. I want us to write down the names of three people who we might have contact with that we will determine to connect with deeper and commit to inviting these people along to events that we put on and most importantly invite them along to our Day of Hope in May, our Gospel Sunday where we will communicate the Gospel and ask for a response. You might not have the opportunity to share the Gospel with your friends but you have the opportunity to invite them along. And so I want us to be praying daily for these people and if you can't think of three people to put on your list, you need to get out more. Go join a men's shed, a sewing circle, a choir, a band, a games club, a sporting club, whatever. Get out there and make contact with people who need hope. Connect with them. Communicate the hope of the gospel with them. And so, I have some sheets for us. So what I want you to do is take that sheet home with you don't lose it. They're really valuable. I want you to keep that sheet, once you've written names on them, beside your bed or on your dresser or stick it to your bathroom mirror. Keep it somewhere that you will come across it daily. And when you come across it, 
Pray for the people that you've written down on the list. Pray for those three people and ask God to give you opportunities to connect more deeply with them and to communicate the hope of the gospel with them. You know, there's also a section on the bottom which I think is almost more important, particularly if we don't get out much and don't have many friends who don't know Jesus, is to ways to connect more. Maybe you're going to put three things on your list that this year you're going to do either with each of those three people or just what you're going to do to improve your connection. If you can't fill the top section, then maybe you need to start on the bottom section. Ways I can connect more with people who don't know Jesus. So that's a very practical thing to do as we minister hope. So that, that's just going to help us put legs in our vision to bring people hope, the hope of the gospel, as we contact, connect and communicate. So that, that's pretty easy, isn't it? I reckon it's all something we can do. So I'd encourage us all to do that today when we go home. Fill that sheet out, stick it somewhere where you're not going to lose it, but where you're going to come across it regularly so that it gives you that little little trigger. That's right, I need to pray for, for Bob. I need to pray for, for Merle or Frank or whoever your friends' names are. They're really bizarre names I chose, hey? Or, or Penelope. Other people might say Penelope, but, you know. There's ways we can do things to connect with people. So let's, let's do it. Let's bring people hope in practical ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you indeed for your blessings. I thank you that we have the ability to easily and effectively minister hope to people. Lord, it's not that hard. Lord, give us contact with people who are yet to come to a saving faith in you. Help us to connect with them in vital ways so that we can minister the hope of the gospel to them and communicate that hope, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we not neglect our personal efforts of evangelism, but Lord, may we be active in ministering this hope to people as you were active and individually healed people, individually ministered to those people. Lord, may we take the same approach as you, person to person. And Lord, may we see great crowds of people come to a saving faith in you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.